Father, this morning as we come before you, once again, I pray that you would help us to remember to bow the knee. We do not come to this place for worship, we come to worship. I pray if there is even one person here this morning who has not come for the purposes of worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the sovereign God of all creation, that you would arrest their heart, that you would help them to understand, and that in giving them a new heart that they would be able to rejoice in the God of their salvation. For those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, my prayer is that the challenge from the Beatitudes, this third Beatitude, would not just challenge us, but that it would encourage us. Knowing that your word says that we shall inherit the earth. So I pray, Father, as we look at the passage this morning, that all hearts and ears would be attentive to the ministry of the word. Help me to be clear in the presentation of what I believe that you have helped me to be able to study and to see in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to stand with us, I invite you to stand one more time for the reading of God's precious word. And we are in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. And we are going to read from verse 1 down through verse 5. We will, as we go through each one of the Beatitudes, we will add uh, to the Beatitudes until we conclude uh, by reading all the way down through verse 12. But today we are just reading verses 1 through verse 5. See in the crowds, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. This is the word of God. Thank you, and you may be seated. In today's society, being meek can be considered to be weak. An online search, you don't have to do it right now, I've already done the work for you. But an online search for meekness is weakness actually produces over 7.2 million different results in about 0.3 of a second. You see, the world doesn't want to be seen as weak. Governments and politicians. They do not want the enemy to see them as being powerful. They want the enemy to see them as being powerful, not as being weak. Down through history, every person who has gotten a big head in the political realm, whether it's Napoleon or Stalin or Hitler or, or whoever it may be, Mussolini or even some in more recent years like Saddam Hussein or Muammar Gaddafi, they have all thought that they deserved more than what they actually had. And too often we find that these 
governments and these politicians, they fail to remember what the Word of God has to say, and that is that promotion doesn't come from the East or from the West. It comes from God. That means that God is the one that sets up one and puts down another. The same God who put Nebuchadnezzar out to pasture for seven seasons could do the same today if he chose to do so. Now this is about as political as you're ever going to get from me as I stand in the pulpit. But I will tell you that it really doesn't matter and I don't want you to lose sleep over who will become our next president. Because when we wake up on Wednesday morning, God will still be in charge. God will still be on his throne. And it doesn't matter whether it's an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican who is in the White House. You see, the White House, compared to the throne of God, is minuscule. He holds the entire earth. He holds the entire universe in the palm of his hand. And one political party versus another should not take you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and give us such concern that we fret and that we worry about tomorrow. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear when he was speaking on this earth. Later in one of his messages, he says, Do you not see the sparrow? The sparrow takes no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. He also says, do you see the blades of grass? The blades of grass grow, they wither, they die. Nobody takes care of them but God. In fact, when he is speaking about the birds, he says they are more arrayed. In other words, they, are more, they have more splendor about them than even Solomon did with all of his kingly finery that he wore. So this must have been a very tough nut for these people to swallow as they are standing there listening to this new rabbi who has just come on the scene in Galilee. He's in northern Galilee on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee outside of a village called Chorazin. And as he is standing on the mount, he is proclaiming the truth to all of these people. The problem is that the people who were in uh, the people who were there, they thought that because of listening to their rabbis that there was a Messiah who was going to come and he was going to free them from all of the troubles. They thought that he was going to take away the Romans, get rid of all of them. He, this guy that was going to come, he was going to be greater than the Maccabees. So it must have been a very tough nut to swallow as Jesus has barely started his message. We, we learned over the last three weeks from verse 4, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And here he is telling them, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. You see, each one, of these, each one of these beatitudes that we are looking at in this passage, they all come from the Old Testament. They come from the law that God had already given to Moses. And, and, and some of these are found maybe in the Old Testament prophets as we will look at each one of them. But each one of these lead to a blessed life, not through salvation, but for those who were already saved. And just as there probably is today, there were many who were in that crowd who did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There are many of them who knew of him. There were many who were there for the loaves and the fishes later on. There were those who watched him perform the miracles, but at the end of the day, 
when he is dying on the cross, he is all alone. It is quite possible that there are Roman soldiers who are probably standing on the edge of the crowd as, as he is ministering to them here. And as he encourages meekness and, and gentleness, this is definitely not something that is in their vocabulary. And yet the gracious words of the rabbi are demanding something that is contrary to their nature. Martin Lloyd-Jones noted this. The most difficult thing in the world is to become poor in spirit. Thomas Brooks, pastor in the 1600s, said, A meek and quiet spirit is an incorruptible ornament, much more valuable than gold. This is what Jesus is speaking of, is to be able to have a spirit that is meek. Some of your translations may use the word lowly or poor those who are gentle. Listen to what one commentary notes on this. Meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit. You actually have this in your notes. I wanted you to be able to take this with you from Blue Letter Bible. Meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting, now, I'm sure that if you are anything like me and you are human, I don't think we've got any extraterrestrials here this morning, but anybody who is human, at some point or another, you are going to look up to heaven and you are going to question and say, why me, God? Because it's part of human nature. It, you're going to go through the trials of Job and you're either going to have one of two choices. You're either going to speak and act and live and believe in such a way as Job did where you are not going to charge God foolishly nor sin with your lips when it comes to presenting these things before God. Or you're going to turn around and you are going to try to charge God foolishly. That's what happened with Job's so-called three friends. In the Old Testament, continuing, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Thus meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict. Did you catch that? Meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict. That he is using them to purify his elect and that he will deliver his elect in his time. And we find in the book of Revelation, the saints who are underneath the altar in Revelation chapter 5 crying out, Oh Lord, how long? You know, we can pray for the persecuted countries and if you never prayed for the persecuted countries and the brothers and sisters who are part of the family of God around the world, then this is a great time to start doing that. But as we pray for them, there are many of them who this year will be put to death for their faith. And they will join that innumerable throng, bowing down at the throne of God and also raising their voice and asking, Oh Lord, how long? How long will this injustice take place? And I don't know each one of your hearts. I don't know your lives. I don't know what you've gone through in your life. But this passage, I believe Jesus is speaking to a group of people, first of all, who were struggling. Whether it was financially, mentally, 
physically. Maybe some, some of them have been, been called to serve the Roman soldiers. As, as a Roman soldier would walk along, he could, he could see somebody. Brother Jeff's walking along with his wife and they're minding their own business. And a Roman soldier comes up and he says, Hey, you, you're going to carry my backpack. And you had to carry it for one Roman mile. And then this guy named Jesus comes along and he says, No, don't just carry it one mile. You're to carry it two miles. And there, there may have been others who, as they're standing in their gardens or as they're working and trying to provide for their family, and a Roman soldier comes up and, and starts assaulting them or assaulting their family. And then this guy Jesus shows up, this great rabbi, and he says, if somebody hits you on one cheek, turn and give him the other to hit as well. Wow. He is setting the entire world on their heads here. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. End quote. In preparing this message, I actually had another message that I was considering this morning. And I believe that we were to continue in the Beatitudes. But there's going to be some things that I'm going to share with you this morning that you may find difficult to swallow. Probably like the crowd who was standing there on that hillside on the Sea of Galilee. There are times that you and I, I'm going to address you if you are a parent this morning, there are times that you and I as parents can be less than gracious to our children. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise both of mine because I've been there, I've done that. Our kids can come up and they can ask us questions and it normally starts very little. It normally starts with a, a most innocuous uh, 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 question, if you will. Well, where's my shoes? Now, those of you who are fathers will know, should know exactly what I'm getting ready to say. I don't know. I didn't wear them last. Where did you put them? And, and you know, the problem is that what we are doing is that when our children actually ask us questions like this, and we are not gracious, we are not gentle, we are not meek with them, we are not using this as an opportunity to teach them about Jesus Christ, we are pointing them actually away from Jesus Christ. What about as a worker to a colleague? Now, having worked in the, been in the workplace for a number of years myself, I know what it's like to have people who you work with who are just dumber than dirt. I know what it's like to go into the workplace and maybe, maybe for those of you who are former military and, and you've got a, a, a staff sergeant who thinks he's a chief. Or, or, or you get somebody that uh, uh, maybe in your workplace, the Peter Principle, the, uh, Pete, you know what the Peter Principle is, right? Rise to the level of your incompetence and you get promoted. And you got overlooked. And you go home and boy, you want to let the entire world know how bad it is at your work. 
This is who Jesus is speaking to. He's, he's speaking to people with real life problems, real everyday scenarios, just like you and I are facing. How about this one? What about as believers to other believers? Now this one's a little bit difficult because sometimes it can be the interaction that you have maybe between you and your spouse. You see, if your spouse is a believer and, and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only is your spouse your spouse, not only are they supposed to be your friend, but if they are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are also your brother or sister in Christ. And you know, there are a lot of times that we don't treat them like they are in Christ. How could you be so stupid? How could you whatever fill in the blank? And you know what we end up doing? We end up demeaning that person. That This isn't about building up somebody's self-worth or their self-esteem. That is a worldly principle. The Bible makes it very clear that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And yet, the Bible also makes it clear that we are to love everybody. I, I have shared this with you before, but when we are speaking with our spouses, for example, we are called to love our spouse as Christ loves his bride. And if we can't love them that way, we love them as a friend because Jesus says, you are my friends if you keep my commandments. And if we can't love them as a friend, there are even times that we may have to love them as an enemy because Jesus also commands us to love our enemies. You see, this was completely different than any other religion that had ever been found or that ever will be found because only Jesus can give you the opportunity and the ability to be able to love like he loves. You see, too often, dear brothers and sisters, we tend to forget that when Jesus loved us, we were his enemy. We were not only his enemy, we hated him with every part of our being. Our very nature screamed in rebellion against the Most High God. Are the words that we speak to one another, the attitude that we have, that we say to them, are, are we gracious? Do our words reflect a spirit of meekness or, or do we always want to make sure our rights are exercised? Well, we live in a woke culture, don't we? I mean, from politics to the media to Hollywood to... Just go on. I don't even have to give you any illustrations. I'm sure you see it every single day. You may even see it in your workplace. But there are a lot of people that want to demand their rights. How about this? The only responsibility that you and I actually have is that we worship the one who created us. Everything else is a gift of God. Because you and I aren't guaranteed anything. We have no right, listen to me carefully, we have no right to the house we own. We have no right to the car we drive. We have no right to the money that we have in the bank. We have no right to the titles or the prestige or the degrees that we have. We are only given those things because of a gracious God. That's it. And if you don't believe me, I challenge you, there's a piece of paper in front of you in all of the chairs there. You can take that piece of paper out and you can take a pen and you write, I guarantee 
that I will be here next week and then sign your name. You can't do it. In fact, we have no ability to be able to sign our name saying that we're going to have one more breath or that somebody won't pass away before we get to the end of this message. And so when Jesus is speaking here, he is not telling the Jews that they are to be looking to be able to exercise any rights that they think that they have. They are to live a blessed life, a blessed life that comes from being gentle. You mean be gentle even when people are mistreating me? Yeah. Now it's, it's easy, you may think, well it's easy for you to say that because you're the pastor and you're expected to say those things. Well, no, the reality is this is what God's word has to say. It has nothing to do with me. The blessed life to which Jesus Christ is calling all true believers does not come from sheer power of the will. You can't work this stuff up. I know that I have talked with several of you down through the, the, the last few years that we have been here and, and maybe you struggle with forgiveness or maybe you struggle with loving somebody or maybe you struggle with things that you have at work or whatever it may be that is going on. And you can't get up tomorrow morning on January the 29th and sit on the side of your bed and just go, I'm going to work up a good dose of sheer will so that I can please God and I can be gentle. <clears throat> You can't do it. Because you can't love anybody else apart from loving because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You can't be gracious. You can't truly be gentle. You will never have an agape love for anybody. You will never be able to forgive anybody until you understand the forgiveness, the love, the grace, the mercy, the patience, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the goodness, the faith, the meekness that God gives you through His Holy Spirit. This is why it is called the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't come from the emotions of the heart. Emotions will lie to you. Now, there's a saying that is, that is often found, and you can find it on the internet, you can hear it in movies, you can hear it all, all kinds of places, and that is, follow your heart. Trust your heart. Can I remind you what the Word of God has to say? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, you can't trust your heart because your heart is deceitful. Your heart is wicked above all things who can know it. You see, God himself knows your heart. He knows the part of you that your closest friend. He knows the part of you that your spouse or your children or your grandparents or your parents will never ever know about you. And if you're a believer here this morning, the wonder and the miracle of salvation is this. He knew you and still set his love upon you. That's amazing. If you feel like this morning that you are living a defeated life, maybe you're struggling to gain victory that is found in Christ, it is because you're trying to do it in your own strength. You can't do that. It is absolutely impossible. Listen to this truth again. We spoke of the fruit of the Spirit, but I want to read the verses to you from Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control or temperance. Against such, there, against such things there is no law. You can't work up any of these. Nor as a believer can you say, well, you know, I, I think I've got a lot of peace and patience in my life, but you know, that love part, I just don't know that I can do that. No, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have all of the fruit of the Spirit. And it may be evidenced in different ways and different degrees from one person to another. Uh, there may be areas, for example, that I'm not so patient in, but Brother Scott might be more patient. So what does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit needs to continue doing a work to manifest that part of the fruit of the Spirit in my life that he's already done a work with Brother Scott in. And yet being meek does not mean that we endorse the sin. We've, he has just finished speaking from verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Again, he is not dealing here with somebody who has just lost a pet or lost a job or lost a loved one. He's speaking about those who are mourning over their sin. And so being meek does not mean we endorse the sin. It doesn't mean we endorse, endorse the lifestyle of any who are living in opposition to the word of God. We shared this with you last week. I believe that it needs to be repeated. You cannot be friends, true friends, biblical friends, with those who claim Christ, if you're a true believer this morning, listen carefully. You cannot be friends with those who claim Christ but do not love God or follow his commands. That's Bible. You can pretend all you want. And it's not that we do not love people. It's not that we do not want to be friends with them. But we have to be friends as God would have us to be friends. And being friends means sometimes that we have to have, there has to be open rebuke. By not saying anything to those who are sinning against God or against the church, you are endorsing their sin by your silence. And this isn't easy to swallow. I understand that. But ultimately, listen to me, by failing to speak against sin, we stand in opposition to our commitment before God as a member and as a believer in the church. I don't believe that it's any different. If, if you knew your friend was cheating on their spouse and yet you say nothing because you want to remain friends with them, you cannot pretend that nothing is happening. But in addressing the sin of others, we have to learn to be meek, and this means submitting to God. Listen to another commentary. The meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God, to his word and to his rod. The word rod here is an old English word that was used for discipline. Those who follow his directions, who comply with his designs, who are gentle towards all men, who can bear provocation without being inflamed by it, are either silent or return a soft answer, or who can show their displeasure when there is no occasion or where there is occasion for it, without being transported into any indecencies, who can be cool when others are hot and in their patience keep possession of their own souls when they can scarcely keep possession of anything else. 
They are the meek who are rarely and hardly provoked but quickly and easily pacified and who would rather forgive 20 injuries than to revenge one having the rule of their own spirits. These meek ones who are here represented in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are represented as happy even in this world. Wow. You see, there are things that we are called to do if we are going to have a blessed life. If we are going to be blessed, we have to be both meek and gentle. We have to have lowliness of heart. We have to be willing to say, no, Lord, your word is right. Uh, this is why he goes on. And for example, if you have headings, if you look down at your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5, and you go down and you start in verse 17, for example, you may have a heading there and it says, Christ came to fulfill the law. And he speaks about the commandments. He then speaks in verse 21 through verse 26, he deals with anger. And in the section on anger, he reminds them, these people, he says, you may not have murdered, but if you have anger or hatred in your heart, it is the same as if you have committed murder. He then deals with lust in verse 27 through 30. And he says, you shall not commit adultery. There are a lot of people in the auditorium that are in the, in, the, in the congregation on that hillside who are probably patting themselves on the back and saying, yes, I have never committed adultery. And Jesus says, wait a minute, if you've even looked with lust, it's the same as if you have committed adultery. You see what Jesus is doing here? He is actually breaking down the external exhibition that these people are trying to portray and to show to everybody around them. They're saying, oh, look at me, I'm a good person. That's what we find in most people, even in churches sometimes, is that people are saying, look at me, I'm a good person. And yet if we were to actually look deep within the heart, we would find that we are actually struggling. You see, this is one of the reasons Gabe has talked about this before and others have. And this is one of the reasons why we talk about the importance of discipleship. I'm just going to go ahead and say it here. You can't be involved with the church. You can't be involved with just one other Christian or one Christian or no Christian throughout the entire week. Show up on a Sunday morning from 11 to 12.30 and think that you're going to have everything you need in order to be able to serve Christ. You can't do it. I know I've tried. And it's not because we want people to be here every time the doors are open, although that would be nice. The point is that you can't make it through the Christian life without help. I can't either. There are times when I may get a text out of the clear blue and somebody will say, hey, Pastor Mark, I just wanted you to know that I was praying for you. You know, that really makes my day. There are times maybe when I have given somebody a card or I send them a text or my wife does and, and knowing that we are praying for them encourages hopefully your heart to know that you are being lifted up before the throne of grace. We are taking the time out of our day to go and if you will, we are going to be persistent before the God of all creation saying, Lord, be with this person. Help this individual. Help me to love them. Help me to be meek. Help me to be gentle. Help me to mourn over my sin. Help me to mourn over the sin of others. 
I have, I have sat where you're sitting, and I know what it's like to try to live your life in such a way that you think you're in control of everything. And there may be some of you here this morning and you think you're in control. And yet deep down, you've got problems with your kids, your grandkids. Maybe your marriage is falling apart, but both of you are putting on a good face. Maybe you're struggling coming to church. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, that Pastor Mark, he, he, he doesn't feed me anymore. I'm, I'm not being spiritually fed. It's not my job to spoon feed you every single day. It's my job to give you the meat of the word so that you may grow, so that you in turn then can help others to grow. I, I do the things that I do because I love what I do. I love being in ministry. I love studying the Word of God. I, I, I love being able to open up the Word of God and, and watch it change your life and mine. I got up this morning. One of the first things that I did, I prayed when we were downstairs in the prayer room at 9.30. 9.30, prayer room. That's just a little reminder. And you know what I did? I asked the Lord to make sure that there was nothing in my heart that would stand in the way of his word being heard. I have to pray that every single day because left to myself, left in the flesh, I will tear strips off of everybody around me that wants to get in my way. And so will you. You see, I want to have a blessed life. I want to live in such a way that Jesus Christ is seen through me. I want you to be able to come and knock on the door of my house at any hour, any time. If you call me up in the middle of the night, and I have received calls in the middle of the night. Hey, so-and-so's in the hospital. Let's go down and visit them. So-and-so just passed away. Can you meet me at the funeral home? Can you meet me down at hospice? My husband just walked out, my wife just walked out, my wife and I will be there as soon as we can get dressed and get in the car and be there for you. You see, we don't do those things because we get paid to do them. We do them because that's what Christ commands of us to be a shepherd. It's not easy being gentle. It's not easy being meek. Because you have to learn to love people deeper than you can love on your own. And your points, and we're not going to get through all of these today. But I want to define the word for you. I want to leave this with you. If you don't, if you don't get anything else today, I want you to hear this part. Meekness is sometimes translated as gentle. And it's only used four times in the New Testament. It means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, or meekness. Now here's the application, if you will. 
the last words that I said to my spouse, to my child, to my grandchild, to my parents, to my grandparents, was it gentle? If Jesus would have walked through the door, would I have said those words to that person? Would I have had that attitude towards that person? Or would I put on a good show? There was a little joke that my <coughs> brothers and sisters and I, I'm going to tell you the first part and then I'm going to tell you what happened at the last part. For those of you who were old enough to remember, there used to be a thing, a thing on the wall that had a great big long cord and actually had two cords and one of them was a really long curly one and you would, it would make a funny sound and you would pick it up and go, hello? It's called a telephone. And I can remember there were times growing up when my brothers and sisters and I, well, mostly them, but no, don't, don't look at my mom. And boy, we would just be getting after it. And I mean, and she had, you know, done everything, threatened us with the house, you know, wait till your dad comes home, whatever it may be. None of you have ever done that, so just bear with me, okay? And I can remember the phone then ringing and my mom would pick up the phone and she'd go, in the sweetest, most loving British accent that you could ever... Why are you guys laughing? <laughs> Hello? Oh, we're fine. And you know what the reality was? We weren't always fine. But the problem was that there were people who sat in the pews of the churches that we were at who expected, because my dad was the pastor of the missionary, and they expected that we were perfect. But we weren't perfect. We were sinners just like them. And one of the things that I have learned down through the years from my mom, it's not always about how you handle things. Sometimes it's about what's deep inside of you, what makes you tick. And I have no doubt in my mind looking down through the years that my mom wanted to be gracious and loving because that's the kind of person she is. And I'm thankful for the testimony that she has and that she has given to us. But there are things like sin that get in the way. And when sin gets in the way, it requires, especially when you've got six rugrats running around, it requires a work of the Holy Spirit to be willing to not only correct and give discipline, but also to still love when you don't feel like loving. This morning, again, I, I don't know your heart, but some of you may not feel like loving. Some of you may not like what I'm saying. Some of you may not love Pastor Mark right now. Some of you may not be in love with your spouse. Some of you may not be in love with your kids. Some of you may not be in love with your job. Some of you may not even be in love, more importantly, with God the way that you should be.
Psalm 37.11 says this, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Do you know where we find this in the New Testament? Matthew chapter 11. Listen to verse 29 and verse 30. Take my yoke upon you, says Jesus, and learn from me. For I am gentle. I am lowly. The word, same word here, meek, lowly, mild in disposition. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, there are some of you who may need to just go back to Jesus. And you may need to ask him to help you to cast your burdens on him. Peter, that impetuous fisherman who had a foot-shaped mouth, every time he opened his mouth, he stuck his foot in it. Sometimes both of them. He would later write in 1 Peter chapter 5, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And while I may not know your heart and I may not know what's going on in your life, the Lord Jesus Christ does. And he can not only give you his peace, he gives you his spirit and part of his spirit is learning to be gentle, learning to be meek, learning to be kind, learning to have love one for another. Not endorsing sins. This last week, some of you may be aware, but there's a well-known minister who stepped over a line. And he gave some recommendations that are clearly, clearly not scriptural. And man, my dad was speaking with, this about, with me about this, and you know, there were... There were people that I had never heard of who were posting things on YouTube. Some of them were just flame-broiling the pastor. Some of them actually tried to use scripture to support and endorse what he said. The pastor was wrong. But I have neither the right nor you to question whether this person is actually a true believer or not. We have the responsibility to be gracious and ultimately there's only one church that I have to give account to before God and that's Yellowstone. He has to give account for what he says to his church. That doesn't demean what he says. doesn't demean his church. It doesn't demean the years of ministry that he has had. But what it has done is this, is it has helped me to pray ever since the news broke. I have prayed as I try to pray every day. Lord, help me to be gracious and help me not to compromise. My wife's folks years ago made a statement and they said, her dad made the comment to me several times, you know, after, and they had a number of kids as well. And they said, you know, after a while you just stop caring. You don't want the fight anymore, so you just let your youngest kids do whatever it is that they want to do. Maybe some of you have experienced that, I don't know. 
my dad and I walked through the cemetery, the veteran cemetery this week on Thursday. Cemeteries are a very humbling place because you realize that yours could be the very next grave. And one of the cemeteries said, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope that if this is the last message that I ever get the privilege of preaching in this life, I hope that regardless of what's on my tombstone or not, I hope that I will hear the words, well done, you have been a good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. We may not start off well, and maybe you have struggled in your life in some way, but I want you to know something. You can finish well. Has anybody ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? The old Chariots of Fire. When we went to England, my dad was pastoring his very first church as a missionary church planter. And there was a guy at a bookstore there, and his name was Bernard. Bernard. And he shared the story with us that when he was eight years old, he had actually been in a Japanese prisoner war camp. And him and his dad had actually been at the side of Eric Lytle the day he died. But if you remember the movie, there's a section there when, do you remember how he ran? For those of you who've seen it, do you remember what he did? Put his head back and ran like the wind. And what, there are two guys that are standing there in the movie and they are watching him go by and they're from Scotland. And they're watching him go by and they say he's lost, one of them's lost the race. And the other Scott looks up and he says, no, his head's no back yet. And he puts his head back and he finishes well. He finishes first. When you and I cross the line, and we cross from this life into eternity, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will only be able to rejoice that God was the one that got you there. Not yourself, not your own strength, but God. But in the meantime, he's left us here in this nasty old earth with all the sin, with all the troubles, with all the trials, with all the imperfect churches that have imperfect pastors. And while he's done that, he's done it for his own glory. He's done it because he expects us to point the world to Jesus, to point one another to Jesus. You see, it's not just a matter of me putting my arm around you when your loved one dies, seeking to comfort you. It's going to be the rejoicing that comes when all of us together as a family in Jesus Christ will be gathered around the throne with the millions who have gone before us. And we're all going to be able to bow down and we're going to worship one king. And his name's not Mark. It's Jesus Christ. But the Bible is clear that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the question you have to ask yourself this morning, are you keeping his commandments? 
You see, if you're struggling to be gentle or meek or kind or gentle to others who are in your life, maybe it's because you've got the wrong perspective. Maybe it's time to readjust your gaze. I conclude with this illustration. Yesterday we were sitting at the table and I had my glasses off. Don't ever pick up my glasses, you get a headache. And my daughter picked up my glasses and put them on and she's like, oh man, how can you see out of these things? Everything's blurry. I said, that's because I have very strong prescription. For those of you who wear glasses, you will know my prescription. I have a diopter of over negative five. It's pretty bad eyesight. If I take my glasses off, I can't even read my Bible. Everything would look like a blur. But she takes my glasses and she puts them back on the table and she lifts her glasses and puts them back on and she says, oh, that's better, I can see now. That's what you and I have to do with the Word of God. We have to wear the right glasses. We have to have the right perspective and the right perspective has nothing to do with you or with me. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the author and finisher of my faith and yours, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And it is because of that that Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and the Father has given him a name which is above every name. This morning, look to Jesus. Look to the Lamb of God. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, today can be the day. If you will but simply call on Him and cry to Him for mercy, He will save you. He will redeem you. And if you're a believer this morning and you're struggling, there's only one person who truly knows your heart. And it may be that it's time for you and Him to have a real talk. And ask him, Lord, if there's anything that needs to be changed in me, change me for your honor and glory. Let's pray. Lord, the idea of being meek and gentle and kind, sometimes we can attribute that to the ladies or the moms. The world doesn't want to see us as meek because meekness means weakness, which is many times why the world says that they do not like the Jesus of the Bible because the Jesus of the Bible was meek and in their estimation he was weak. But it takes more strength than everybody in the entire world has in order to be able to lay aside your glory come down to this sin-cursed earth and be willing to go to the cross to die for the sins of mankind. Because of that, Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would do his work this morning in the lives of each person here. Do a work in my heart. Bring revival where revival is needed. We'll be thankful 
Oh, be careful also to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise that is due your name. And together, all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for being patient with us this morning. We want to have our men come up to take up the offering. And I want to be able to give, uh, want to be able to give um, a few announcements here real quick. And then we're going to conclude with a hymn. And that's, it is well with my soul. No. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Let's pray for the offering. Father, thank you again. Pray that your will has been done today in every aspect of the service. Thank you for being able to worship together with my brothers and sisters. And I pray, Lord, that we would go from here today looking forward to the next time that we can worship and meet together to serve you, to love you, to worship you, knowing that this could very well be the last minute, the last hour, the last day, week, or month that we have to live here on this earth. But oh, what rejoicing there will be on our Jesus we shall see. We should look upon his face, the one who saved us by his grace. When he takes us by the hand and leads us to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Thank you, Father, for the offerings that are received here at Yellowstone and may it further the ministry here and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we have our last song, I just want to remind you the Master's Disciple class will be next Saturday, this coming Saturday, February 3rd. I believe we've got food lined up, um, and uh, there's going to be additional books and study material for those who are coming. We've been having a great time. We probably have 20, 25 people that come on the Saturday, and uh, it's a wonderful time. We are learning many things about the Lord and about how we're to live our life. There's a prayer list for you there. And uh, then again, we've got uh, February the 11th. I don't think we have a sign-up sheet uh, yet. We'll have one for next Sunday, but we will have Breck Merkel with the Glory Project, Lord willing, on the 11th. Um, and uh, 11th of February, we will have a dinner to follow. And um, so he will be here for the morning, uh, both in the Bible hour, where he will be showing some pictures from his latest trip. Um, he just got back from Nepal, India, and Myanmar, I believe, um, on either late Thursday or late Friday. And uh, so we invite you to be here for that. His family will be with us. He's one of the mission projects that we support. Uh, and then this evening, we will be having the Lord's table. And uh, so we invite you, if you have a desire, to um, to be able to partake of the Lord's table, which I believe is, is uh, a wonderful testimony of the grace of God in our hearts and lives. We invite you to come back here this evening at 6 o'clock. Remember to keep one another in prayer throughout the week and to remember the elders and myself here that God will be glorified in everything we do. Amen. Thank you for coming again today. And if you have any questions, we invite you to come and speak with us afterwards. Let's go ahead and sing this song and then we will have the benediction.
to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.